Open up your Bibles to the book of John. As we continue our study through the Lord's ministry, we'll be in John chapter 7, the first nine verses here this morning. As we look at Jesus lingering in Galilee. And uh, the focus of the message isn't necessarily his lingering, of course. It's what he's doing while he's lingering there. Uh, But this is the, the... the title or the identification that A.T. Robertson used in his book as he was uh, using the gospel harmonies. And I feel it's fitting uh, because there's about a four-day span uh, that he spends here, which hopefully we'll be able to understand a little bit more as to why by the end of it. So if you're in your Bibles there in John 7, verse 1, it says, And after these things Jesus walked in Galilee, for he would not walk in Jewry, because the Jews sought to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand, and his brethren, and this is an important uh, word, it's actually going to be the first point of our lesson this afternoon, he uses it twice here, his brethren therefore said unto him, Depart hence, and go into Judea, that thy disciples also may see the works that thou doest. For there is no man that doeth anything in secret, and he himself seeketh to be known openly. If thou do these things, show thyself to the world." For neither did his brethren believe in him. Then Jesus said unto them, My time is not yet come, but your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, but me it hateth, because I testify of it, that the works thereof are evil. Go ye up unto this feast. I go not up yet unto this feast, for my time is not yet full come. When he had said these words unto them, he abode still in Galilee. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we consider this, <clears throat> this moment in the Lord's ministry, we ask, Lord, that you give us clarity, you give us application, that you would help us to see the context in this event. And at this point, probably more importantly, the context of the events yet to come, as we are closing in, Lord, on, uh, on, on the Lord's ascent to Calvary, I guess, for lack of a better word. Lord, we ask, Lord, you be with our hearts, still our minds, remove distractions, that we have no, nothing else before us, nothing else to focus on, nothing else to concentrate on uh, than your word and the purpose that you have for us. We're thankful for our brother who is here this morning and ask, Lord, you give him safe traveling mercies back to Horn Lake as well as back to Trinidad when the appointed time comes. Help him to have clarity of mind as far as what the mission is that lies ahead, what it is that you'd have for him to do. Be with uh, our beloved friends who have come and sought prayer, Lord. We think of Janine's daughter, Brandy. We think of Stacy, who was here this morning. We ask, Lord, that you would still their hearts, uh, that you would settle anxiety, that you would remove the, uh, the excitedness, the nervousness that this world causes in us at times, Lord. That again, you would still our hearts and minds on you. We ask, Father, for salvation for the lost. And we have to ask. We have no room for demand, but we ask in faith. We know that those who are yours, it will be revealed unto them. We ask, Lord, that that hour might be upon us, that we might rejoice, that we might excitedly be faithful, and that we might, uh, as, as Clark had said, that we might worship together, that we might come together in, in this ministry while the day is yet the day. We ask, Father, your blessings on our visitors, and we're so thankful, Father, that we have so many who are faithful to attend to these services. We ask, Father, that they not hear my voice, that they not hear... Uh, the doctrines of Berea Baptist Church, they would be of little value if they're not the doctrines of your word. We ask, Father, that an education would befall us all, Lord, that we would be led in righteousness, and that we would learn to worship in spirit and in truth. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So the first thing to address uh, before we can really dive into what's happening here <clears throat> is the brethren. Who are the brethren? Who is, who is it that the Lord is, uh, in these nine verses, he, he seemingly at times has dialogue with the brethren. So who, who is this? The brethren here are his half-brothers and sisters, the children of Mary by Joseph. Uh, Jesus, as we know from this study, from Scripture, Jesus was Mary's firstborn. And this is indicated in Luke 2, 7, which said, And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them at the inn. Uh, this is not a Christmas song. This is what Scripture says. These brethren are never called cousins of the Lord, as some who seek to defend Mary's perpetual virginity teach. And this is the reason we have to address this. There are some in here, no doubt, who know who the brethren are. They know who's being referenced here. But the world will twist even this truth of Scripture to cater to their own whimsical ways. Let it not be so amongst the Baptists. Let it not be so amongst the Lord's people. Let us understand, let us seek after, thus saith the Lord, in the truth of Scripture. These same brethren are referenced in Matthew 13, starting in verse 55. And this is really one of the latter times that the Lord was through this area. When they were uh, slinging accusations at him, they said, Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And his brethren, James and Joses and Simon and Judas and uh, to tie this in with what we're teaching in Sunday school, if in fact it is the Lord's half-brother that is writing the book of Jude, that is the Judas that we just referenced. And his sisters, are they not with us? Whence then hath this man all these things? And they were offended in him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, save in his own country and in his own house. And he did not many works there because of their unbelief. This, uh, the reason I referenced this lesson from Matthew 13, which we taught months ago, is because the, that very lesson continues in the text that we're looking at and dealing with today. It's the same reason they could go up unto this feast, but he could not, is because of their unbelief. There's a separation. They're not the same. And it's the same amongst us, those born again and those who aren't born again. The last thing anybody wants to talk about is, well, we're all the same, but uh, you recognize yourself to be born again, or you recognize yourself to be a Baptist. But we're all the same. We all believe somewhat the same. Well, I can attest, as a Catholic, I did not believe somewhat the same as a Baptist. I didn't believe anything at all, lest the priest told us, lest it was in a missalette, Thus, it was in a creed form and some kind of sacramental action that I could take over and over and over again. I did not believe. And I didn't believe in those sacra sacramental things either. I was taught how to do those things. I was told to memorize those things. And that's not belief. It's a very different thing. So this is not a situation where they're kind of the same. They're kind of not at all the same. There are those that believe the Lord and follow after the Lord. There are those, even that we talked about, two of which this morning, Jairus and Nicodemus, that were brought out of where they once were, even in disparaging situations, even in the darkness of night, and a truth revealed unto them. Let's not fool ourselves into thinking, well, it's a convenient truth. It absolutely is not a convenient truth. What does this truth do? This truth sets us free. Well, imagine trying to go home and explain that to mom and dad. I was set free today. I can't do these things that we once did because the Lord has revealed in his word to me that those are sinful. This isn't a convenient truth. There's never a convenient time to go home and tell mom and dad you're not going to be a Catholic anymore, that you were saved from such things. 
There's not a convenient time to tell your friends we don't walk in the same manner anymore. There's not a convenient time to say that we are different. But all times, we are commanded to witness of those things the Lord has done to us. Case in point, the example that Samaru gave this morning. The woman with the issue of blood that was dried up instantly as the virtue left the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord didn't wait and let her mentally process what she had experienced. She did she had not done that in 2023. We have to mentally process everything before we go into the next phase of things. No, he called her on the spot. He knew who that virtue went into. He knew exactly what had been done. He knew where she was before the foundation of the world. What she'd experienced for a dozen years. How much she'd pay to the last cent and still not find success and relief. And he called her to come forward and made for her to reveal unto everyone what had taken place in her. And you think about what had taken place, uh, gentlemen, only a woman can reveal such things, because we really have no way of knowing that ourselves. She was completely healed from something we will never experience, praise Lord. Was there a convenient time for her to confess that? Uh, I guess if we take liberties, yes, there was a convenient time. It was immediately and forevermore, because she'd been made whole. And as Samru said, she'd been made a daughter. You imagine uh, how long it must have taken for Lazarus to get tired of telling people he was once dead and made alive. Have you ever thought about that for a moment? How long it was before Mary and Martha were like, okay, everybody knows. Like we send out the, our, our first of the year uh, family photos and he's still in it. Everybody gets it. He's alive again. Probably not. Probably anyone had never told face-to-face, -face, and even those they did tell face-to-face, -face, they told him again. He was once dead. He stinketh, and yet he is made alive. We thought it was too late. We thought four days, surely he's dead and gone and never to return. And yet the Lord says, move away the stone. Lazarus, come forth. And then Lazarus says he's eager to tell the story one more time. And I came forth. I came forth. What was it like before you came forth? Doesn't matter. I'm alive now. What was your state of being? I was dead. You've seen dead people. I was dead. I was mourned for. I stunk. I opened my eyes and the dead man handkerchief was upon my face. But my Lord told me to come forth and I came. You see, I, I don't know how many times you've told folks about your salvation. I challenged you a couple weeks ago to do it. But until we've reached the point where we're doing it like Lazarus and like Mary and Martha for their brother's sake, I don't think we're doing it right. Have we grown tired of our own salvation story? Now, we're Baptists, so we would never admit we're tired of talking about the cross. But have we grown tired of talking about the connective tissue between us and that sacrifice? There is no greater story for you to tell. There's no greater event for you to clarify. So why don't we talk about our testimonies more? Mothers, fathers, do your children know your salvation story? Do they know what you were saved from? How your life was before the Lord Jesus revealed himself unto you? Boy, they should. It's really hard as a pastor to to pray with folks over their lost children if their lost children have never heard their parents' salvation story. How do you expect them to find the Lord Jesus? It won't be the same way. 
But if they're still holding you up on some heroic pedestal, and you've never been humbled before them, how do you ever expect them to find salvation? They'll have to be broken. Those idols have to be broken. They have to come to nothing. Come to a point of desperation, as Samaru pointed out. So here we have the Lord's half-siblings, and they don't believe. You know how hard it is for us when our siblings don't believe, and our children don't believe, and our parents don't believe, and, uh, and so on and so on and so forth. But the Lord was 100% God and 100% man. He also experienced this. His siblings did not know him. His siblings did not know or understand the work that he came to do. They even helped Jesus. They suggested to him, hey, here's the best time for you to go and get new recruits, they seem to say. Psalm 69, verses 8 through 9 says, I have become a stranger unto my brethren and an alien unto my mother's children. For the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up, and the reproaches of them that reproached thee are fallen upon me. This uh, set of texts, and I didn't even realize it at the time, is what we were referencing this morning in John chapter 2. When we talked about uh, Jesus saying, tear this temple down, and in three days I'll raise it again. And he's turning over the tables. And he's redeeming the, this place of worship. This is literally what John makes reference to right there in that text. I'm become a stranger unto my brethren. How many in here have siblings that are lost? At least to your, to your knowledge. And don't raise your hands. I know some of you have siblings in here. You can understand. There are some things, some discussions, some uh, parts of worship maybe, some parts of church, if you want to go that route, that they are strangers to and you are intimate with. There are things you will invite them to come and be a part of that they will look at you with almost disgust. And I, I, I'm not making this up. All of my family's been here since I've been called the pastor. You've seen the looks. You've seen how they behave in the Lord's house. You've seen how they reject Him. You've seen how they reject His Word. It's painful, isn't it? I've become a stranger unto my brethren. Those who know me best in this life. I have one sibling. But I am like a stranger to him when I go to the Scriptures. And an alien unto my mother's children, for the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up, and the reproaches of them that reproach thee are fallen upon me. Sadly, there were a small sample of the entire populace, as they were also convinced that the works would win the favor of the people. There's going to be this feast. There's going to be a lot of people there. You should go and present yourself to the people while the crowd is gathered together, they say. It was not in part that God sought his elect, but rather in heart. He wasn't trying to hook them. He wasn't trying to start conversations. He wasn't trying to land a big sale. And even today, his interests have not changed. It's your heart. Your stony, worn out, useless heart that he has intentions for. For those that he has saved, he's replaced that stony heart with one of flesh. You feel things now. Uh, a fleshly heart is a prickable heart. For those who are here and still lost, don't be surprised when you continue to reject the Lord. You have a stony heart. You, like the Pharaoh, cannot overcome your stony heart on your own. But God can. 
God is still able, as Amru said this morning. Jesus' brothers could not know the open hostility that was shown to him. They wouldn't understand it. They couldn't relate to it, for they were still of the world. How does a worldly person handle that kind of hostility? They hostility back, which is what we've seen for three years in America. It's not exactly what Martin Luther King stood for. I don't agree with him on everything, but it's not what he writes about in his books. And I don't know George Floyd. I don't know that it was his intention either. But it is the intention of Satan himself to destroy and to confuse and to continue to mislead. The Lord, as the truth, had to testify against the evil world. He couldn't go among They wouldn't understand the hostility shown to him, but he also couldn't go into these throngs without addressing that sinfulness. He had to testify against an evil world. That was his calling. That was his work. He could not look the other way for the sake of winning over a crowd. We see this in the church. One is not saved and permitted to keep that old nature. I mean, the Lord grants freedom. The Lord sets us free. He leads us away from things. If we're pursuing after Him, if we're seeking to understand His word and His ways, He leads us closer to Him and further from the world. Their desire was for a worldly Messiah at this time, of which He could never be. In time, the Lord was revealed unto them, and we've got some scriptural examples. If, you're, uh, if you've got your flipping fingers ready, we've got quite a bit of text I want to cover here uh, this afternoon before we close. We know in Acts chapter 1, verses 13 through 14, we see this phrase, brethren, again. It says, And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room, where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon Zelotes, and Judas, the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. So the brethren are not referring to the apostles or these other disciples, because they are already mentioned. But with this brethren here, this indicates that after his resurrection, they did receive him. Acts 12, verse 17, But he, beckoning unto them with the hand to hold their peace, declared unto them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, Go show these things unto James and to the brethren. And he departed and went into another place. In verse 2 of Acts 12, we see in this same chapter that James, which is James of Zebedee, John, the apostle John we're reading of right now, his brother, he's killed in, John, in, in Acts 12, verse 2. So here in Acts 12, verse 17, we're talking about a different James. This James is the half-brother of our Lord, who at this point is a pastor or an elder of the church in Jerusalem. There's hope for the lost. Even these who didn't understand the Lord's ministry here in John 7. Even these who didn't understand why he wouldn't go unto these large crowds. Even these who wouldn't understand the open hostility, the doctrine, the calling, the need to live differently, to be different. There's still hope. There was still hope for this 18-year-old Catholic boy. Yeah, yeah, you've heard the story quite a few times. Well, I'm sorry. Like Lazarus, I will never get tired of telling you how miraculous it was that the Lord had a conference for me to go to. 
and that I said yes, because everything in my flesh said, you don't want to go to that thing. Is she really worth it? She was. Just answer that question, too. But there was way more than time with my girlfriend that I gained out of that weekend. Lord broke my heart. I took beating after beating after beating to the foundations for which I had settled upon. I wouldn't be here right now. I wouldn't be a member of the Lord's church had he not pursued after me. Why? Because I wasn't going looking for any of that. I wasn't trying to find the right church. I was content with being a Catholic who never attended church. They allow that. But he was not content in leaving me so. Is he after you this very hour? Is the Lord driving you crazy with his truth? Just incessantly not leaving you alone? That's a good thing. Not letting you rest on uh, earthly men traditions. Not letting you rest on avoiding the tithe box. Not letting you rest on avoiding eye contact. Not letting you rest on sitting way in the back if you're sitting at all. That's God. I don't care where you sit. I don't check the box. That's God. And if he's after you, that's a good thing. He doesn't waste a whole lot of time on those he didn't elect. Christ lived according to God's schedule for his life. Unsaved people can come and go as they wish, but the child of, the, of God must be led of the Lord. And we see this illustrated by the Lord Jesus himself. Now the second point, uh, which has got some lengthier reading to it, is on the Feast of Tabernacles, because this is what we're coming into. This really kind of sets up uh, the next lesson or two. So I want to discuss this Feast of Tabernacles uh, before we go any further. The Jews' Feast of Tabernacles was held on the 15th day of the seventh month, which is generally September, October, and it lasts for eight days. Uh, you can turn with me over to Leviticus 23, and we'll read a little bit about it. Uh, and from there, we're going to go to Deuteronomy 16. So if you're just a fast flipper, uh, you can line up all of those. Uh, readings. Leviticus 23, starting in verse 34, says, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of the seventh month shall be the feast of tabernacles. For seven days unto the Lord, on the first day shall be in holy convocation. Ye shall do no servile work therein. Seven days ye shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. On the eighth day shall be in holy convocation unto you. And ye shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. It is a solemn assembly, and ye shall do no servile work therein. These are the feasts of the Lord, which ye shall proclaim to be holy convocations, to offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord, a burnt offering, and a meat offering, a sacrifice, and drink offerings, everything upon his day. Beside the Sabbaths of the Lord, and beside your gifts, and beside your vows, and beside all your freewill offerings which ye give unto the Lord, also in the fifteenth day of the seventh month, when ye have gathered in the fruit of the land, ye shall keep a feast unto the Lord seven days. On the first day shall be a Sabbath, and on the eighth day shall be a Sabbath. And ye shall take you on the first day the boughs of goodly trees, branches of palm trees, and boughs of thick trees, and willows of the brook, and ye shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. And ye shall keep it a feast unto the Lord seven days in the year. It shall be a statute forever in your generations. Ye shall celebrate it in the seventh month. Ye shall dwell in booths seven days. All that are Israelites born shall dwell in booths. 
that your generations may know that I made the children of Israel to dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And Moses declared unto the children of Israel the feast of the Lord. Now if you turn over to Deuteronomy 16, verses 13 through 17, we see this same feast mentioned again. Deuteronomy 16, starting in verse 13, Thou shalt observe the feast of tabernacles seven days, after that thou hast gathered in thy corn and thy wine, and thou shalt rejoice in thy feasts, thou and thy son and thy daughter and thy manservant and thy maidservant and the Levite, the stranger and the fatherless and the widow that are within thy gates, seven days shalt thou keep a solemn feast unto the Lord thy God in the place which the Lord shall choose. Because the Lord thy God shall bless thee in all thine increase and in all the works of thine hands. Therefore thou hast surely, thou shalt surely rejoice. Three times in a year shall all thy males appear before the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose. In the feast of the unleavened bread, and in the feast of weeks, and in the feast of tabernacles, and they shall not appear before the Lord empty. Every man shall give as he is able, according to the blessing of the Lord thy God, which he hath given thee. And Numbers 29. This is a little bit longer of a read. Numbers 29, verses 12 through 40. And if you know your Old Testament, and, and Lord willing, if he doesn't come, we're going to teach right through uh, the Old Testament, we're going to go Genesis and Exodus and, and right into all this. This is being presented to the Israelites at very different stages of their, of their lives, for lack of a better word. Very different stages. When it was first delivered in Leviticus, they were receiving the law for the first time, receiving direction. Deuteronomy is kind of an, a compilation of those things. But in Numbers, uh, the census has been taken, uh, and they're scouting the land even though they weren't directed to and rejecting the will of God. Now listen to what it says in Numbers 29, verses 12 through 40. And on the fifteenth day of the seventh month, ye shall have an holy convocation. Ye shall do no servile work, and ye shall keep a feast unto the Lord seven days. And ye shall offer a burnt offering, a sacrifice made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. Thirteen young bullocks, two rams, and fourteen lambs of the first year. They shall be without blemish. And their meat offering shall be of flour mingled with oil, three-tenths deals unto every bullock of the thirteen bullocks, two-tenth deals to each ram of the two rams, and a several-tenth deal to each lamb of the fourteen lambs, and one kid of the goats for a sin offering, beside the continual burnt offering, his meat offering, and his drink offering. And on the second day he shall offer twelve young bullocks, two rams, fourteen lambs of the first year without spot, and their meat offering and their drink offerings, for the bullocks, for the rams, and for the lambs shall be according to their number after the manner, and one kid of the goats for a sin offering, beside the continual burnt offering, and the meat offering thereof, and their drink offerings. And on the third day, eleven bullocks, two rams, fourteen lambs of the first year without blemish. I'm going to stop there for a minute and insert a Joeism. How come we don't sing songs about this? You get twelve days of Xmas, but you don't have songs about all the offerings they got to offer all these days? This was of God! This was his directive. And yet, well, we could probably sing the 12 days of Christmas from heart. Isn't that interesting? And their meat offering and their drink offerings for the bullocks, for the rams, and for the lambs shall be according to their number after the manner. And one goat for a sin offering beside the continual burnt offering and his meat offering and his drink offering. And on the fourth day, 10 bullocks, two rams, 14 lambs of the first year without blemish, their meat offering and their drink offerings for the first 
uh, for the bullocks, for the rams, and for the lambs shall be according to their number. After the manner, and one kid of the goats for a, skin, uh, for a sin offering, beside the continual burnt offering, his meat offering, and his drink offering. And on the fifth day, nine bullocks, two rams, fourteen lambs of the first year without spot, and their meat offering and their drink offerings for the bullocks, for the rams, and for the lambs shall be according to their number after the manner. And one goat for a sin offering, beside the continual burnt offering, and his meat offering, and his drink offering. And on the sixth day, eight bullocks, two rams, fourteen lambs of the first year without blemish, and their meat offering, and the drink offerings for the bullocks, for the rams, and for the lambs, shall be according to their number, after the manner. And one goat for sin offering, beside the continual burnt offering, his meat offering, his drink offering. On the seventh day, seven bullocks, two rams, and fourteen lambs of the first year without blemish. And their meat offering, and their drink offerings, for the bullocks, for the rams, and for the lambs shall be according to their number after the manner. And one goat for a sin offering beside the continual burnt offering, his meat offering, and his drink offering. On the eighth day you shall have a solemn assembly. You shall do no servile work therein. But you shall offer a burnt offering, a sacrifice made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. One bullock, one ram, seven lambs of the first year without blemish. Their meat offering and the drink offerings for the bullock, for the ram, and for the lamb shall be according to their number after the manner. And one goat for a sin offering beside the continual burnt offering and his meat offering and his drink offering. These things ye shall do unto the Lord in your set feasts, beside your vows and your freewill offerings, for your burnt offerings and for your meat offerings and for your drink offerings and for your peace offerings. And Moses told the children of Israel according to all that the Lord commanded Moses. I just want to let that sit for a minute. There are Baptists that come to church, come to worship, and forget their Bibles. Can you believe that, Steve, next to what we just read that they were to do for these feasts? Now, I'm not after anybody that's forgotten their Bible, don't get me wrong. But how can we say we've prepared our heart for worship when this is how they were to prepare for these feasts? Can you imagine Moses taking these notes down? Thirteen carry the one, but only on the eighth day. On the ninth day is fourteen and one, and then the regular offerings, and then at the end, oh yeah, plus the free will offerings. And we forget our Bibles? Or we forget to pray for the preacher? Or the Sunday school teacher? Or we forget there's a bulletin? And we don't pray for any of the people on there? We've got it so easy compared to what they would have done preparing for these feasts. But again, with where we are in John 7, the siblings see this as a sales opportunity. Take what you got, brother, and go out in front of those people. They're all going to be gathered together. They don't know him. It's the same thing we saw in John 3 this morning with Nicodemus. Great teacher, powerful works of God doesn't recognize him as the Lord and Savior, the Messiah himself. These are his brethren. This is a great opportunity to pitch what you're trying to sell. They don't see him for who he is. They don't even see the danger it would be to him for him to be there. So I have to ask you again, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? Do you truly know this one? Do you know how much of what I just read in Numbers points to him? and is fulfilled in Him? Do you prepare for services here? I mean, you expect me to. You would expect Steve to if he's teaching. 
But do you prepare your heart and mind to receive what God has presented? They were to prepare for these. And what were these? They were feasts. Gentlemen, if we showed up some Sunday and the ladies didn't prepare any food over, over there, we'd notice. God does too. He notices when we don't prepare for these meals. He notices when we don't prepare for fellowships. He notices when we walk in to present the gospel or to witness to someone and we've not prayed for it. We've not sought His will. He notices when we enter into tough conversations just looking for a battle. We haven't truly prayed for the Lord's leadership, His guidance, His willingness to give us the words to use in that conversation, His ability to lead us. Who does the saving? We might need His help. And I say help loosely, you understand. We're not helping Him save folks. But He's seen fit to use us. We might want to make sure He's in it with us. We might want to make sure that it's His will. It was a memorial of the time when Israel lived in booths during their wilderness wanderings. And that's where this last one came from in Numbers, was their wilderness wanderings. And Exodus 23, verse 16 indicates that it was also a harvest festival, one of the three feasts that all male Jews were required to attend annually. And so we'll read that as well, Exodus 23, and I'll read it for you, verses 16 through 19. And the Feast of the Harvest the first fruits of thy labors which thou hast, shown, hast sown in the field, and the feast of ingathering, which is the end of the year, which is in the end of the year, when thou hast gathered in thy labors out of the field, three times in the year, all thy males shall appear before the Lord God. Thou shalt not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leavened bread, neither shall the fat of my sacrifice remain until the morning. The first of the first fruits of thy land thou shalt bring into the house of thy Lord thy God. Thou shalt not seethe a kid in his mother's milk, which I believe we've talked about before, but we will get into that when we get into Exodus for sure. Again, according to verse 14 of our text, Jesus likely spent about four days, uh, I guess it's verse 14 of John 7, it wasn't part of our text, but he, he spends about four days in Galilee before he goes up to this feast. So this is, this is where he's headed. If you want to go back to uh, Numbers 29 verses 12 through 40, you can see what they should have been getting ready to do by the fourth day. Uh, if you want to recite that verse of the song to see how much they were supposed to bring and offer, you can. But understand the preparation that would go into this. Because these, these animals, they'd have been planning for this from the beginning of the calendar year. They would have been planning for this feast and making sure they had exactly what they were commanded to have before going to this feast and presenting anything before God. And here we are, still January of 2023, and I'm urging you, prepare yourselves, prepare your hearts. If the Lord is coming in this calendar year, it's going to take more to have your lamps trimmed and ready than just reciting some words. I told you as a Catholic I could recite words with the best of them. I know Clark doesn't believe it because I can't get the words right in any of the songs we sing, but I was pretty good at all those creeds. And it meant nothing. So don't think that you're going to be able to say the right words. He'll say, depart from me. Are you prepared to meet your maker here in 2023? Don't bother praying that he comes back quickly if you're not ready. You can beg for time, 
But don't beg for him to come sooner if you're not ready. You'll be forced, compelled to look him in the eye. Everyone in this room. I cringe at the thought of how many wasted hours I'm going to have to answer for. And those who know me know I, I, I work a lot, constantly. But there are still so many hours I pray he doesn't bring up. And I'm saved. I know that the Lord has saved me. But if he calls on those hours, I'm going to have to be honest. Here's what I was doing. And you were not first in my life. We have a space of repentance, folks. I pray that you know the Lord Jesus Christ, and I pray you take advantage of the time that we have left, for there is not many hours remaining. Let's go ahead and close the word of prayer.